this prophecy concerning Jesus, which comes from the very word of God, was given to the Jews that they might believe in the coming Messiah. And do you know that in Israel today that there is a, a quickened awareness of the Messiah's coming? Once again, there are a number in Israel today that are looking for the Messiah. They're looking for a different Messiah than Jesus Christ. They think perhaps we as the church, we've got it wrong. But there is a hunger and a longing for the coming Messiah once again in the 21st century. This is good news. All they need to do is be pointed in the right direction, in the direction of Jesus Christ. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to look at that in Romans 15, verses 1 through 13. And just for an overview, we're going to be looking in our first point, verses 1 through 3, that we are to bear with one another. Second, we're going to see in verses 4 through 6, we're to be like-minded. And number 3, verses 7 through 13, that we are to receive one another. And Father, I pray that you would just teach us through your Holy Spirit today, Lord. Help us to receive that which you would have for this church, Lord, for this body who is gathered here today to worship you. I pray, Father, that your anointing would be upon the teaching of your word today. We know, Lord, that your word is anointed and has been given to us and passed down to us. And we trust, Lord, that this is the word that you have given to us. So now, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to heed the things that are written. Help us to understand that we may apply these things to our lives. And I pray, Lord, right up front. If there was someone, Lord, that has walked away from you and today you are calling them back, I pray, Lord, that they would surrender their heart to you. Lord, if there's someone that's never asked that you would be the savior of their life, today, Lord, would be that day that they would give their life over to you. And I pray, Lord, that we're going to be dealing with the subject of unity and disunity of churches. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any disunity within this Church, Lord, that you would drive it out of us today. By your will, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Secondly, he tells us that we are to be like-minded, verses 4 through 6. I'll read the context. Romans 15, verse 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. 
Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be like-minded, and he begins by talking about the very word of God itself. That which was written was written for our learning. He says in verse 4, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. These things that were written, they were given to us for our teaching, for our instruction, for our education, for our learning. In Spurgeon's book, The Soul Winner, Spurgeon asked this question, what are the processes by which a soul is led to God and to salvation? And then he goes on to answer this. I take it that one of its main operations consists in instructing a man that he might know the truth of God. He asked about the process of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and Spurgeon began this list of seven, and this is only the beginning of a list of seven that he gave here in this chapter of the soul winner. And he began by saying, it is instructing a man, we might say instructing a man or a woman, that they might know the truth of God through instruction, through education. The Lord God has given us his word. The heart of scripture is the belief that the Bible is relating truth always. Whether dealing with the miraculous or history or that of an individual, a nation or the world, when the Bible speaks what it is written, the Bible is God's sure word of prophecy. And most of the Bible has been written in this biblical narrative, which are purposeful stories retelling the historical events of the past that are intended to give meaning and direction to people in the present. We are to look at the word of God and not just see it as a history book, but a story concerning Jesus Christ a book that gives us direction. The Apostle Paul couldn't have agreed more as he said in verse four, what has been written has been written for our learning that through the patient and heart of the scriptures, we might have hope. But don't get me wrong, the Bible is not a self-help guide. These things were written and compiled together to give us hope in Jesus Christ in the current circumstances of our lives. They were written that we might know how we ought to be saved. And we are to run our race as we are abiding, it says, through the patience. And this Greek word simply means to abide under, under the pressures of this life. We are to run our race while abiding under the pressures of this life. But the word of God gives us hope to help us abide under these things. Hebrews 10.36 says, For if you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You have need of endurance. We need endurance. And the word of God helps us to have this endurance. It is also our comfort. This is a Greek word that I've actually mentioned a number of times from this pulpit, that of parakletus. It means of a legal term of a, a legal assistant coming alongside to help another. So we could think of a lawyer uh, coming to plead your case. But it also means to uh, comfort, someone to come alongside and to comfort another. And Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit as a paracletus, as a comforter. And so too does the word of God bring comfort and hope 
to the lives of those who have their hope in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 7, verses 19 and 20, it says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What is the anchor of your soul? Is it, in fact, the hope of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, the offer of salvation that you yourself have received, knowing that you have been saved? I can tell you that it is the hope of my soul. It is the anchor of my soul. 5 and 6, first verse 5, to be like-minded. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. I love it that Paul first encouraged us to have patience and comfort. And then here in verse 5, he adds the same two words, patience and comfort, to God himself. He said the God, the God of patience and comfort. The God of patience. He is a God of patience. And perhaps you have heard someone ask you before, you guys have been talking about this Jesus coming back again, well, for nearly 2,000 years. And where is he? And all you have to do is come back with the word of God and say, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises toward us, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know about you, but I think nearly a 2,000-year patience is showing a lot of patience on God's behalf since the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. We might say it's nearly a 6,000-year patience since the creation of this world and the fall of mankind that God has been patiently working to redeem humanity back to himself. But he's also the God of comfort. The same Greek word, parakletos, is used here again. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5 tells us, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received and been comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our constellation, our paracletus, it's the Greek word found here again, also abounds through Christ. Our comfort is in Jesus Christ. God is the God of patience. He is the God of comfort. And he has challenged his children, the believers in Jesus Christ, to also have patience and comfort. In fact, I love it there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, that we are told kind of a mission of what we're to be about. That first of all, we have been comforted by God and then we are to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. I look at that and I think it simply means when somebody comes to you and they're struggling, you can simply say, let me tell you about the hope that I found in Jesus Christ. Here's the comfort that I have received. And he says in verse 6 that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through God's patience and comfort, 
He is able to make us like-minded toward one another. And this is in accordance to Jesus Christ. The unity of the church was so important to Jesus that it was part of his great priestly prayer that is given to us in John chapter 17. The priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17 is broken into three sections where first Jesus prayed for himself, then Jesus prayed for his disciples, and then the section I'm going to read to you is when Jesus prayed for us. In John 17, 20 through 23, it says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me and the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And how wonderful it is to know that Jesus prayed for us before he went to the cross. You know what is even better, I think? I think that's great. But the Bible tells us that right now in Hebrews 7.25, that Jesus Christ always lives to make intercession for his church. Not only did Jesus pray for us before he went to the cross, he is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us continually. And his desire is that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. His desire is for the unity within the church to stand as a witness to the world that God the Father has sent his only begotten Son, that the church might with one mind and with one mouth glorify God the Father, and the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But sadly, Disunity within the church has often kept the world from believing in Jesus. You know, the unity of the church gives testimony that we are part of the body of Christ. And finally, we see in verses 7 through 13 that we are to receive one another. Again, I'll read the context for us. Verses 7 through 13 of Romans 15. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles, I will sing your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord. All you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Receive one another. He begins by talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He says, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The desire is for unity within the body of Christ, especially between the Jews and the Gentile believers. It was an issue that Paul dealt with often 
We learn in Acts chapter 16 that Claudius, the Roman emperor at one point, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And in Acts 18, Paul met two Jewish believers who had left Rome because of this incident that is not only written about in scripture, but has been recorded in history as well, that he met Aquila and Priscilla who happened to be believers in Jesus Christ, who happened to be tent makers, and they made a great team as they worked together. And I have to believe that Aquila and Priscilla filled in Paul about all the stuff that was going on within the body of Christ in the church within Rome. Therefore, Paul encourages Jewish and Gentile believers to receive one another, just as Christ has also received us. It was on the heart of Jesus there at the Last Supper in John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. So he says to the Jews in verse eight, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Paul understood that his people, the Jewish people, have been given a great advantage over all the other nations of the world. And one of the chief advantages that they had been given was the very word of God. We learned this back in Romans 3 verses 1 and 2 where Paul said, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Jesus became a servant, receiving the Jews in past and also presently. To receive the Jews, it was part of the very word of God that Jesus would come and offer his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, that this prophecy concerning Jesus, which comes from the very word of God, was given to the Jews that they might believe in the coming Messiah. And do you know that in Israel today that there is a, a quickened awareness of the Messiah's coming? Once again, there are a number in Israel today that are looking for the Messiah. They're looking for a different Messiah than Jesus Christ. They think perhaps we as the church, we've got it wrong. But there is a hunger and a longing for the coming Messiah once again in the 21st century. This is good news. All they need to do is be pointed in the right direction, in the direction of Jesus Christ. And truly, the Jews were blessed to receive the oracles of God. But the very word of God foretold of the coming of Jesus Christ and his death, burial and resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the father but also to the Gentiles. Now he stresses a little more detail with the Gentiles. Uh, verses 9 through 12, he gives four Old Testament prophecies. So he tells the Jews that these promises were given to the fathers, the promises, the Old Testament, we would say, that which was written in the Old Testament, these promises were given to the circumcision, to the Jews. And then Paul, it's kind of like Paul saying, now let me show you in the very same scriptures the promise that was made to the Gentiles as well. And he gives four of them. In verse 9 he says, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. 
As it is written in 2 Samuel 22, verse 50, also in Psalm 18, verse 49, David had composed this song that is actually uh, found twice in the Old Testament. So it's kind of like, you know, God said, if you don't get it the first time, I'm going to have it repeated to make sure you get it the second time. He composed this song after God had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul himself. And in response to God's deliverance, David declared, for this reason, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And just as David confessed concerning the work of God among the Gentiles, so too has the message of the gospel gone out through all the world. And the second verse he gave comes from Deuteronomy 32:43. This was a song that Moses taught the Israelites that they should sing and that they should also teach their children after them. A song of redemption that talks about the rock who has saved them and the very last verse of the song. Deuteronomy 32:43 says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And so in the very last song of the redemption of the Jews, Moses taught the Jewish people that the Gentiles will also rejoice with you. And then again, verse 11, this one comes from Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. Psalm 117, the shortest chapter in the Bible, if you don't know that, only two verses. It's also the center chapter of the Bible. It's a halal psalm that calls for the Gentiles to praise the Lord. Albert Barnes said of this passage, the idea is that God has a claim to universal worship and that all the nations of the earth are under obligations to adore him as the true God. He is not the God of the Hebrew people only, but also of all people. His praise should be celebrated, not merely by one nation, but by all. And then the fourth example he gives to us comes from the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 11:10. Verse 12 reads, there shall be a root of Jesse and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him. The Gentiles shall hope. Isaiah 11:10 reads this way. In that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Jesus Christ, in that day, uh, the root of Jesse, he shall be a banner to the people, a banner, a standard, a flag that in, in the wars of those days, soldiers, they would lift up their banners. You kind of Know the rallying point that you should come to. In that day, Jesus will become that standard, will become that banner, not only for the Jewish people, but for all peoples of the earth. For the Gentiles will seek him. His resting place will be glorious and he shall recover the remnant of his people, Israel. And so we are the conclusion of this whole thing. We are to abound in hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul closes this section. It's the first of several benedictions that he gives here in the book of Romans. He closes this section telling both the Jews and the Gentiles to abound in hope. 
that the God of hope might fill you with all joy and peace. We are first to be filled with the joy and the peace of God. And that joy and peace of God comes by way of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believed in God, believe also in me. The joy and peace of God comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul prayed for the believers, whether Jew or Gentiles, that they would abound in hope because of the Holy Spirit's work in their life. And he's already told us in Romans 5, 5, that hope does not disappoint because of the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so just as Christ has received us, may we also receive one another. The issue back then in the first century church was Jewish and Gentile believers who often would have conflict with one another. And Paul is encouraging them to receive one another. We need to hear those same words today. The issue might not be between Jewish and Gentile believers, but that same attitude needs to be within the church of Jesus Christ today. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Mm-hmm.